0: you, it's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Yes. Hey, how about a hand for the incredible team outside greeting you in the snow? Let's put our hands together for them our welcome team, and a hand for you for making it in the snow today. Well done. Put your hands together. You're here. That's a big part of the battle. So glad you're here. If you're joining us online and you stayed home in your jammies, we're all a little jealous, but we still love you and we're glad you're here. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here today. Can't wait to dig in. This is our second week in this series, The Good Book. You can go back and catch all of our messages on our YouTube channel. Uh, on our podcast, all of that, and this series will be building over the next couple of weeks to serve our community well, but before we get into that, I got a couple of just quick updates for you. Um, number one, the Halloween party community night on Friday night was off the chain. Put your hands together for that. That was awesome. Thank you for everyone that came out. It was so fun. Tons of our friends and neighbors and co-workers, especially those who are either disconnected from church or far from God, they came and got to hang out and just experience the joy of this community. Uh, just a small humble brag here. My family won the costume contest just saying. I am still trying to get eyeliner off today. It's still, so if you look really close, it's still there. Who knew? Eyeliner ladies, just props to you. That's, that's some dangerous stuff. Uh, I thought, you know, like there's different forms of torture and then there's eyeliner. And I was like, oh, so Danielle's like putting it on and I'm like, ah, you know, crying and pretty sure you just touched my retina, you know. So that was my Friday. How was yours? It was good. It was fun. Um, Had a great time. It was really, really cool. So thank you for, uh, man, how God used that evening. Can't wait to see all that comes from it. Also, just another shout out for those of you that are new to City Church. So glad that you're here. Uh, If You're a first-time guest with us. Hopefully, you received a gift on the way in. But listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are, and we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And so wherever you're walking in, we're committed to you, and we hope this place feels like family for you. and We want to help you take some next steps on your spiritual journey. So we hope that that's uh, um, a reality for you as you're here today. Uh, we are also kind of wrapping up. At the, uh, in, a, in a few days, our prayer room will close. But can we put, put our hands together for all that God has done to the prayer room over the last two weeks? It's amazing, man. For those of you that are new, um, we, we did a 24-7 prayer room two weeks ago where our church filled 165 non-stop hours, night and day of prayer. And you're welcome to even go check it out on the other side of this wall here. There's a prayer room, walls filled with prayers from people over the, over the course of an entire week. Um, and, and then we continued to open it up of the last week. And I kept trying to go in the morning and I, you know, I was going to go like 4, 5, 6 a.m., something like that, and then people kept taking my slots, and so well done. Fill in the prayer room this last week. Super cool. I had to go super late at night again. Still don't regret it, but I'm a little sleepy, so really cool all that God has done. I can't wait to see the prayers that are continued to be answered. Man, I've heard some really cool stories already of the answered prayers that God has just been showing up, and it's so amazing, so um, man, if, if you've seen those, uh, those prayers answered, just make sure you're celebrating them. Um, well, you can let us know through the connection card. You can go circle it on the wall. Uh, let a staff team member know we'd love to celebrate those with our church. Uh, and a really quick update for you today. I just have a quick announcement for you. Uh, in addition to heading out um, and getting that Food for Families flyer, you're going to get a flyer uh, with our Healthy Church survey on it. And so that's really tiny and small, but it's in a note, and it says to do. See, this is for you. I'm trying to help you out. Danielle was like, hey, you need to make a slide for this. And I'm like, cool. What does it need to look like? Here you go. I made that, guys, for you. You're welcome. How awesome. A little bit of keynote and a little bit of late night. We got it. So... To-do on your to-do list is our Healthy Church survey. If you don't know what that is, listen, even if you're new to City Church, we would love for you to take it. You're going to get that flyer on the way out. There's a QR code. You're also going to get an email with this. And annually, we do a Healthy Church survey. We talk a lot about uh, what it means to be a healthy church and emotionally healthy spirituality and all the different spaces of of really you can't give what you don't have. And so when it comes to community here, we we, we say this often that, that we don't want anything from you. It's what we want for you that really matters, and that's the starting place. And so this allows us to take an anonymous survey Survey, just the scope of our entire church, even those that are new here, and, and really understand how we're doing when it comes to the metrics that we're after. And so listen, if you're new, if you've taken it before, all of that, we want you to take it again, because every year we look at those results. We look at the progression. We're saying, hey, what's God up to in this community? Where are we growing? Where we, where do we need focus? What are the felt needs? Um, and so we would love you to take some time. It doesn't take you very long at all, maybe, maybe 60 seconds to fill out the survey. But you're going to get that on the way out, and you're getting an email, so please Help us out as we get ready to review and look at the next year, just knowing what God's doing and where we're going. You guys cool with that? Awesome. Very, very good. Very good. I'm so excited to get into uh, this series um, Continuing our conversation, last week we talked about the why behind the Bible. So, so when it comes to the good book, we're we're talking about this series on the Bible, and you might have woken up this morning, and this is the last thing you were thinking about. So, last week we talked about the why behind the Bible and in, in following Jesus, and the very simple big idea is that we trust the Bible because we trust Jesus, and it's not the other way around. We we don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible. We have a Bible, in fact, because of Jesus. And so the goal for this series we introduced last week, with all of its challenges, with all of its struggles up against the scriptures, if you, if you struggle with the Bible, if you struggle with religion, if you struggle with the church, go back and listen to last week because we just spent some time acknowledging the struggle that we have. But we said the goal for this series is that you and I walk away having the same relationship to the Bible that Jesus did. And so when it comes to conversations, let's talk about the Bible for just a second. The Bible um, is this interesting word, this interesting idea. You probably have all kinds of different experiences and ideas about it yourself. I know, again, you probably didn't wake up thinking about it. You probably woke up thinking about maybe the workload that you have on your plate this week, or the homework and assignments that are due, or maybe some unpaid bills that are at the back of your mind, or maybe a friend that is sick, or maybe there's some You know, loneliness that you're struggling with, or maybe there's some kind of anxiety or depression humming around the back of your mind that, you know, is only there every time you wake up, or maybe it's just full blown in front of you all the time. Maybe there's discouragement from different areas of life that you woke up with. Maybe there's fear around what's next. Maybe you're just experiencing that, that, That deep grief over the world events and and, and the struggles of people, innocent people losing their lives and the wars, and all the and the shooting in Maine and all these different things that you're wrestling with, or or maybe it's just, you know, your kids and what's next for them. And and the list goes on and on and on of what you probably woke up with. And I just say that to say, hi, I know you probably didn't wake up saying, you know what I really want to do is talk about the why behind the Bible today, because you've got some maybe bigger pressing needs on your heart and mind. And I just want to take some time to acknowledge that this morning. And I don't think on its own the Bible can help with some of the big things that you're wrestling with or some of those those deeper issues that maybe we're working through. But I'm 1000% confident that Jesus can help with those things. And that's the point of this series. The series is to get us to Jesus and we've got to wrestle with the relationship of Jesus and the scriptures. So the question today is: what is the Bible? What is it? Last week we talked about the why. Like why does the Bible have a role in following Jesus? So you can go back and check that out. But today, what is it? And this matters a lot because listen, if we misunderstand what the Bible is, then we there's a danger that we turn it into something it's not. You guys following me? The misuse of the Bible. Has unfortunately been a source of pain for a lot of people, probably in this room. If, and if it's not for you, then there's somebody that you know where the misuse of it has been an issue. However, understanding what the Bible is, its proper use, and, and how we come to it, it's actually, I, I would say, arguably led to more life giving moments for people than misuse and abuse and, and the damage that's done. you guys understand? Like, we probably wouldn't be here if, if the damage outweighed the good of our relationship to Jesus in the Bible but it doesn't mean they're not there. So we're trying to be honest in this series. And listen, we're not answering all the questions. We don't have it all figured out. Um, and, and so we're just here to alongside one another, grow as a community and approach this conversation that as we look at the Bible, the goal is that you and I will be more fully equipped in our approach to the scriptures and practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. So there's an end game. So listen, no matter what you w- woke up with, whether life is heavy right now or it's all good, I think Jesus absolutely has a massive role and can help in all of those things. And this conversation is vital to that process. So you guys with me? You able to lean in a little more? Even if you're not, just pretend like you are because we're here for the next 30 minutes. Okay. So we got it. We got to go. All right. So here's my, here's our working definition of the Bible for the series. We introduced this last year. I'm going to give it to you again. The, our working definition of the Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. This is our working definition of the Bible. A library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. So, uh, pulling from all kinds of different resources that I'll give you. Um, I'm not by any means the smartest person in the room, and so we're learning from guys like uh, John Mark Comer and N.T. Wright and Andrew Wilson, and there's all kinds of incredible resources out there for you. We're going to walk through this series together. Now, here's a few resources I'd recommend. Number one, um, Unbreakable by Andrew Wilson. It's a little short read, and so if you're like kind of on that space of wanting to grow a little more, but you're like I cannot commit to like super heady reading right now, this book's for you. It's also a good Audible listen. It's a great little book on on, on some of the content that we talked about in the series, but he does a much better job, and you actually get the full attention of his efforts. So I recommend this book highly, and another book that I recommend on top of that is Interpreting Scripture by N.T. Wright. This is kind of a collection of his talks and and lectures, but it's phenomenal, and it gets, it's a little more heady, but he's still a really good communicator, and so it doesn't, you don't get lost in the weeds of, like, some really thick theological book, but it does address maybe some of the more nuanced questions that you have. I've had lots of conversations, even this week, of just people wrestling with their relationship with Jesus, and then naturally, like, like, where the Bible plays into that, and you know, is it trustworthy, and, and can we move forward, and who, who is Jesus, and then how do all these things work together, and can I trust Him, and are the scriptures, scriptures reliable in relation? So, lots of that felt need in the room today. So, again, just equipping you if you want to take some time, because we can't handle everything in this series, and there's a good chance over and over again we raise more questions than answers, and that's okay. We're not, we're not afraid of those hard questions here, and, and so we're just gonna do our best with the time that we have as we move forward. So let's go back to our working definition, and then we're gonna get into the scriptures today. Um, the Bible is a library of writings a library. So let's start there for just a moment. The Bible never, this is kind of interesting, the Bible never calls itself the Bible, in case you were wondering, other than, you know, the print on the front of it, but, you know, that not, didn't come from the original scriptures. So so the Bible never calls itself a Bible, and it definitely never calls itself a book. Uh, uh, the word biblia is where we get the word Bible. It's actually from Latin. Last week I got my wires crossed and said it's Greek because the New Testament's in, anyway, just so, my bad. It's in Latin. That's where we get the word book, or books, or sacred books. So The idea of Bible is not actually in the Bible, it's just a collection of books. And so what you need to think about is the Bible is not a book, like you pick up a, you know, whatever your favorite novel is, or, you know, the textbook for school or whatever. When you pick up a book, you have a certain approach to a singular book. But you and I approach a library in a very different way, would you agree? Right? It's it's a very different approach. And so you and I need to understand that when we're approaching and talking about the Bible, we're not looking at a book, and many people, and this is how it works, and it totally makes sense. It's all bound together, and it looks like a book, and it kind of has pages and numbers and all of that. And so what do people do? You start on page one, and then they get lost in the weeds, and they never make it out alive, right? You're like, what is going on in here? And so we approach it very differently as a library. Next week, we're going to talk about where, where the Bible comes from, so don't worry. We're going to get to that, like it's not a bunch of, you know, old white dudes with long beards who are trying to exercise power that created the Bible to, you know, control all the peasants, right? It's, it's, it's not that, okay? So we're going to talk about the history and where it comes from so that you have some, some security around trusting it and its authenticity, but today we're talking about what is it? So you come to a library different than a book. Why? Because at a library you've got many authors, you've got many varieties of literature, you've got different genres, you've got uh, uh, different t- time zones and, and all kinds of different things. So in in the the Bible, if it's a library, I have this really cool little um, ESV journal pack. I should have brought it today, and so it's got the whole Bible, uh, the whole New Testament, broken down into individual books. Literally, you can go up, and you can pick, like, John out or Romans out, and it kind of gives you that picture of, like, okay, this is an individual letter. This is an individual narrative of the life of Jesus. Here's Matthew, right? So, So there's a different approach to, hey, who wrote this, and what kind of literature am I reading? And so, as we approach a library there are different approaches to how we read it like like for example you don't you probably if you do I'm not trying to throw rocks, but you probably don't snuggle up on the couch with your, you know, microwave manual and a nice cup of hot cocoa. You know, that's like your nice, relaxing evening today as the snow's on the ground, right? It's not really how you approach that kind of literature. You guys tracking with me? Right, you probably don't sit down with a highlighter and a pen and a notebook to read, you know, Jurassic Park or, you know, your favorite, you know, sci-fi novel or whatever, right? We don't really approach a book like that. And so depending on the kind of literature that we're reading, it changes how we approach it. You guys tracking with me? That makes sense, except many times we don't approach the Bible with that same understanding. And so because we have different books and different genres within the scriptures, kind of a library of writings, there's different truth represented with different postures. So John Mark Comer says it this way. I think it's a really great way. It's kind of pithy, but I like it a lot. So when we come to the Bible, we don't want to read it literally all the time. We don't want to read it literally, which is sometimes our first approach, but we need to read it literarily. You like that? That's pretty good. We don't want to read the Bible literally, we want to read it literarily, I meaning there is historical narrative that you can read literally, and then there's other poetic pieces that you need to be careful, how, you know, and so, so sometimes it's obvious, you pick up the Bible and you read that psalm, it's like, and the trees will clap for the glory of God, and you're like, you know, if, if your mind goes to this creepy scene out of Lord of the Rings where, you know, they're like, to Isengard, and they're clapping, that, that's it's probably not what that passage means, right? Like, sometimes you can read it and you're like, okay, this is probably poetry, But then there's other passages where you read the New Testament, it's like Jesus is coming back on the clouds. And you're like, you know, what does that look like exactly like? Is he surfing a cloud? Is that metaphor? Like. How, how what, what are we talking about here? Or one of my favorites, um, this is just a really popular one. Uh, you know, people like to argue um, around like the age of the earth and all of that stuff. And you go to Genesis one through eleven, and you you know you read the passage where the earth was created in six days, and on the seventh God rested. And so then there's some people that are like the earth is you know six thousand years old, and then there are other people that are like that doesn't line up with science, and so then therefore everything about following Jesus is inconsistent. You know the problem with with those arguments? First of all, they're really not that important. It's fine that you talk about them, but they really don't have a lot of bearing on on the reality of what we're talking about when it comes to Jesus, but also when it comes to scholars, no one agrees on what kind of literature we're reading in Genesis 1 through 11. Where is it historical? Where is it poetry? Where does it move? into right, it's hard for them to tell. And back and forth, everybody's got different opinions on it. And so, is the Bible right, or is science? Is it a, a literal six days, or was it, you know, figurative? Or or could God have created, you know, the Earth with pre-built-in age? Or like, you know, are Adam and Eve really the only, two, like, the very first two people? And were they like not born babies that just kind of airdropped right there? And then, like, what about a talking snake? I mean, what do we do with that? And it's got legs. That's creepy. You know, what do we do with Genesis one through eleven? And rather than all of the easy rocks, that it's, right, it's pretty easy, especially for people who are far from God, or you're just skeptical on a good day, like myself at times. You can start picking up rocks and picking apart pieces, and you go to you know, you know, community college, and all of a sudden you're the smartest person in the world, and you heard one argument against the Bible, and you're like, yep, all that's bogus. Like, is, it, is it really that easy? Well, it depends on how you approach it. Because a certain approach to the Bible does make it pretty easy to, to pick apart. But if we're approaching it literarily, it actually changes a lot. Think about about C.S. Lewis and and Narnia. How many of you guys have read the books by by C.S. Lewis? Yeah, pretty good. And then the movies, if you're not a book reader, at least those are coming out on Netflix. Let's go. And so, right, what if I told you that C.S. Lewis made all of that up? (gasps) I just broke some of your, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I should have given you a heads up before you came in. If you found out that C.S. Lewis made all of that up, it doesn't undermine the value of that story, does it? And it actually doesn't undermine the truth that story represents, does it? In fact, because you know what kind of literature you're reading, when you come to Narnia, you can see the truths represented in that story without it having to be about a real lion and, and a real place through a wardrobe. So that's what's interesting, is there's a lot of literature that we can look at that represents massive reality and truth that doesn't necessarily have to be literal. So... Again, this is not to say that the Bible is not meant to be taken literally. This is just saying that there are lots of different genres. There's a literary approach. You guys tracking with me? You might feel like you're in a lecture a little bit. I'm no professor, okay? So let's keep moving on. I'm just trying to help you understand the approach. Now, it's it's a library of writings that are both divine and human. So you've got the library part, right? Just that there's a different approach, and, and it, it changes how we read different parts. So you go to the Psalms, and you're reading poetry. You go to Matthew, and you're reading historical narrative. It's, it's different. So... That matters. Now, it's a a library of writings that are both divine and human. Listen to Jesus' words. Oh, hold on, guys. Did I miss my, no, okay, we're good, we're good. I thought I missed a slide. All right, let's go to the Jesus' words here Um, in Mark 12. Thank you. Jesus was teaching in the temple, lots of religious, like hyper-religious, obsessive about the Bible, kind of, kind of, hating on Jesus and arguing with him, and here's his response as he's teaching in the temple. He said, David said, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. So this is a moment in a conversation. I'm just picking it out for you to, to follow. Jesus is teaching, and then he references Old Testament scripture to make an argument. And so we looked at it last week that Jesus considers scripture as authoritative and divine, but it's really interesting that Jesus quotes David in the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes the Scripture. Meaning, David the person, the real human guy, pens something that Jesus considers to be divine and authoritative, and then Jesus is going to quote it as such in this argument. You guys, You guys tracking with me? So we're talking about a library that is both divine and human, This is this tension that some people really wrestle with, but the Bible's not trying to hide at all. And so this is not Jesus saying, yeah, David, from his own experience and his own opinion, kind of shooting from the hip, making stuff up, said. right? That's not Jesus' view on the scriptures from David. But it's also not, now David, after he woke up from his trance and there was drool on the parchment in front of him and he transposed whatever God had from him, right? It's not this weird, super divine, totally overriding human element moment. Jesus seems to look at Scripture as both divine and human. And and while that might be confusing to you, a helpful space in this is what's often known as the incarnational view of both Jesus and Scripture. We're talking about the divine and human combination. So Jesus, we believe as followers of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man, 100% both. Not 50-50, not 99%. One, it's not, you know, he wasn't God in a shell like 99, you know, like this, this, oh, I need to take a nap, yawn, and he's just doing that to make everybody else feel better, but he's actually totally not tired, right? It wasn't that version of Jesus, and it also wasn't like God in, in, in a shell where he's like 99% human with like 1% of the divine, like a LaCroix, you know what I mean? It's like there's this hint, oh God, in him, right? It's not that, that's pretty funny, guys, all right, anyway, so, so Jesus is looking at the scriptures and the scripture authors as this combination of divine and human, and so we see from the scriptures that, that that there's this idea of it being God-breathed or, or written, while well, simultaneously written by human authors. And so it's not this it's not this golden tablets view of like the Bible fell out of the sky somewhere, pre-dictated for you. And it, the Bible never claims that it's not hiding its humanness. And some people really struggle with that. Some people are like hardcore: the Bible is the word of God. And it's just like, it's authority and you don't question it or anything. other people are like, it's written by human authors. How can it possibly carry any representation of the divine? And Jesus seems to hold totally fine the tension of both in the same way that Jesus was both divine and human. The scriptures are as well. And again, it's not trying to downplay the divinity of the scriptures or the miraculous or any of that. Let me, let me take you to Peter. This is uh, Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' closest followers. He said, no prophecy of scripture or the, the scriptures that we have. This is the, speaking toward the, the writers of the scriptures that we have, both Old and New Testament. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. This is being made up by, by people with an agenda. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's this partnership of God alongside an individual, all of their personality, all of their circumstances, all of the, even their time period of life. This is Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, similar conversation. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. When Paul writes, about the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and this, this conversation. It's God-breathed. And it kind of speaks to this, this idea of inspiration, which we'll talk about in a minute. That's where we get the word in the Greek there. But there's it, it, a couple things it's beneficial for. Teaching, meaning it's revealing like, new possibilities of what it means to be human. It's, it's taking what we think we know about reality and aligning it with God. Rebuking means to reveal all the ways that we're curring, currently living out of alignment with true with reality. Correction is bringing us back into alignment. And then training It's this word p- uh, pedia in the Greek. And it's, it's like the overall process of helping a child grow. That, that's kind of what it's speaking to. So this idea of training is like a mother and, father, and f- father nurturing a child to grow. So the scriptures have a purpose of helping us grow in the ways of Jesus. Listen to this uh, quote by N.T. Wright. Uh, he says, "Inspiration—what we're talking—this God-breathed idea of Scripture—is a shorthand way of talking about the belief that, by His Spirit, God guided the very different writers and editors to uh, so that. Sorry, the typo. The, the books they produced were the books God intended His people to." have. I love, just kind of shortened to the point of what are we talking about? We're talking about inspiration. The idea is that God is behind each word and phrase, but he's not overriding the individual human will. Andrew Wilson talks about it in a really helpful way in that book that I recommended earlier. He talks about like a wind instrument, like a saxophone. I've never been able to play the saxophone, but I feel like, man, if I could pick up an instrument, it'd just be super sexy. That's one of them, you know? Like, it's just got that, that feeling, you know? You you, yeah, that's that's one of the moves that you do with it anyway. So you pick up a saxophone, and, and one of the questions he asks is like when you're listening to someone play the saxophone well, is the music from the saxophone or is it coming from the musician? And the answer is yes. There is outside influence working through the instrument that produces the hopefully beautiful music that you and I get to listen to by someone really skilled with that instrument. But at the same time, there's all the potential of that instrument and all of its limitations there as well. And, this, and so that's how God working through humans throughout Scripture, that's how we have it today. So when we're talking about divine and human, we're talking about the Spirit of God working through people like Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Luke, and they're normal people like you and me. And again, he's working through creative, intelligent humans. He didn't erase their personality. He's not erasing their intellect. He's not even erasing their worldview, which is where sometimes we get stuck is where we are today looking back on maybe the scenario of a scripture and we're like, oh, that's scientifically incorrect. Well, if, it's not, if, if, if that's not the point and they only have a limited worldview and God's working through it, it actually makes a lot of sense. We're gonna get to that. But the humanness of the Bible, this is all I'm trying to get at today, the humanness of the Bible is not an issue for followers of Jesus. But let's go back to our definition. That all of this tell a story so a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story that leads us to jesus let me show you real fast just the genres when you're coming to the library of books in the bible 66 books all together they started out on some papyrus a bunch of scrolls and then they got translated onto books and here we are the bible genres you got a couple different ones you got 44 percent narrative Almost half of the scriptures that are sitting in front of you in those or on your phone or what almost half is narrative. It's story. That's really interesting, right? I mean you gotta think about it. How, how do we how do we live into story? How does story serve as authority over our lives? That, that matters. Almost half of the scriptures in front of you are story. 33% are poetry. That's also challenging. Like, wow, how do you, you know, that, that, we have to understand how we're coming to those things. And then 23% are discourse, or like some of the New Testament letters, the teachings and commands, which is no small portion, right? I mean, these are, so the good news is, we talked about it last week, there's some things that are very black and white, very clear, very helpful, and other things that are a little more challenging. And so you need to think about the Bible as a library of writings telling a unified story pointing to Jesus. So, if you got some kids and you're telling them the cool story of David and Goliath to encourage them about defeating their giants or whatever, that's a cool story, but there are other parts of David's story that are not exactly bedtime, you know, helpful. You might want to avoid those at night. You don't just turn the page and hey, let's do another story for the kids. There's other parts of the story that don't fit into that agenda. So if all the Bible is is a bunch of little pithy, devotional, helpful, how do I, you know, make it through my Monday, we're going to struggle for it to serve us in in its original purpose. But when we look at the Bible as a deep story all connected together, it begins to serve in a different way. And listen, guys, the Bible is hard to understand. Like, it's definitely that. I was reminded this week that all good literature is anything significant worth digging into, it's hard, which is why people don't read it. But because it's story, N.T. Wright suggests that we, we think about the Bible as acts in a play. And so as we look at it, you and I are living in a different part of the story of the Bible. So when you go back and you look at the Old Testament and it says, hey, you can't eat shellfish, and you're like, oh no, I had a fish taco this week, and then I had some oysters, and oh! You're like, yeah, that doesn't apply to you. Well, how do you know the difference? Because you and I, and we're going to talk about this more and more through the story, but if you think about the Bible as different acts of a, of a story, you and I are living in a different act. Think of us as in Act 5. And, the, and then things that are happening in Act 3 are no longer relevant for what's going on which is really helpful. Paul talks about like this. I won't put it on the screen, but in Galatians 3, he talks about the law, speaking to the Old Testament scriptures and the prophets. Uh, he says, the law was our guardian up until a point, until Jesus came. You can go read it on your own, Galatians 3. It's really cool. And that word guardian that he uses in the Greek, it's like the word nanny. Anybody grow up with a nanny? Anybody have a nanny? Sweet. Very cool. <laughs> Three of us. Um, I didn't have a nanny that I know of. Maybe I did. Who knows? I'll have to ask my mom. Um, so, so you know, you grew up with a nanny, and the idea. This is this is kind of interesting. He says, "Hey, the law functioned as a nanny up until a point. A nanny has a purpose, right? There's a season where a nanny's really cool. You know, you're six, seven, eight, nine, whatever. A nanny serves a great purpose in a home. If you're 35, having a nanny's a little bit different. Would you agree? And so there's stages of life. So, so let, let me help you understand. Uh, I'm a dad of two boys. They are um, how old are they? Seven and five. Eight and five. Seven and five. Yeah." their birthday's around the corner, so I'm getting confused already, but seven and five, and um, in this season, we're working really, like, there's some rules in our house that matter for this season, and there's some rules in our house that will matter for their entire life, so there are some things in the Old Testament that were good for a season, and there's some things that will always be good, so shellfish, maybe not, you're okay there, bacon, congratulations, that's exciting, don't kill anybody, that one's still a good thing, right, you guys, and we're going to talk about how we do all of that, but, but understand. So for my kids, you know, they got rules like, hey, we always tell the truth. It's always better to tell the truth. We never lie. Lying breaks a relationship. Well, you know what? That's true right now, and it's going to be true when they're in their 20s and they're on their own. It's going to be true when, when you know, they're married one day or whatever. It's, it's going to be true for the rest of their life. That is always going to be true. That's a really good rule of life. Hey, we always honor others. We're learning that now. You know what? That's really important now, and it's important later. It's going to matter when they're in the workplace, or when they're in school, and when they're making friends, and when they're learning to navigate who they're becoming. Always honoring other people is going to serve them well. They also have a bedtime. Bathtime, you know, at 7.30, bedtime, you're asleep by 8 or 8.30, um, and that is really good right now. They need to get their sleep. They wouldn't do it on their own. If I left it up to them, they'd eat candy and stay up all night and, you know, that whole thing. So, so they've got to have a bedtime and a routine and all of that, but hopefully, you know, when they're 25, they don't need me to make, sh- you know, run that bedtime. Like, hey guys, get your clothes off, get in the bathtub. It's going to be a little weird at 25, right? Let's hope that's not happening anymore. If it is, we need an intervention. It's gonna, right? And so you understand, like, there, there is a difference between seasons and how it works. It's the same thing with the scriptures. So, like, you know, don't, don't murder is still a good thing moving forward. And we see that. So there were some laws for Israel. That were, that were good for a time. That's what Paul's point is. That it was to keep Israel separate as God was building a people. But now it's interesting, as followers of Jesus, Paul says, hey, things have shifted. He, he didn't throw it all out. He, he brought a lot to fulfillment, and now we're living in a new act or a new covenant, a new relationship. And in that, it's kind of interesting because there was a season when uh, Israel had to stay separate from the world, but now actually Jesus calls us to go into the world. Well, you could look at those two things and see the Bible contradicts itself Which one is it? Or you read it a story and you understand that we're living in a different part of the story. Are you guys tracking with me? I know this is a little heady today, but this influences massively how we like how we read the Bible, it influences how we follow Jesus, and it also helps us to to deal with some of the rocks that that maybe we, we are familiar with and we'd like to throw, other people throw, and we're like, it kind of feels like it's getting undermined, and all of a sudden maybe it's not. So there are some things that were in the scriptures that were not bad. Jesus, we talked about it last week. Not bad. They were just for a time, and we'll talk more about that, but listen to Tim Keller kind of to wrap up this idea. We normally read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories. This is just our approach, especially in the West, Um, and each with a moral for how we should live our lives. Most people open up the Bible for that purpose, like, come on, how do I handle Monday? He says, it is not. I kind of like, just (laughs) heads up, no. He goes on, he says, rather, it comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things right. That's the narrative, the overarching piece of Scripture. Now, when you think about story, we all love a good story. And this is not, don't, don't, get, don't get stuck in story as in made up. Think of story as in there's something to live into, something to to kind of stretch the imagination and give you a vision for what could be. There are two basic types of of plots when it comes to story. There's commercial plots that we're very used to right? It's, it's why you binge Netflix at times. It's why you're kind of waiting for, you know, for Stranger Things to come out, because there's a commercial plot that you're looking forward to, and so when you watch things like Marvel and The Lord of the Rings, and you watch people get knocked down, they get back up. That's the commercial version of a story, and so you see Gandalf sacrifice himself, and then he comes back as the white wizard, and you're like, yeah, Gandalf, and then you see, you know, Sam, this noble friend, and he's trustworthy, and then Frodo betrays him, and he's sweeping on the side of the mountain, but then he finds the bread, and then he gets all angry, and he goes back as faithful friend and you're like go sam and feel bad frodo you know, not like you guys with me if you don't like lord of the rings just hang with me for a second it's just what i'm inspired by today right and you have these moments of like commercial stories that kind of get our hearts you're like yeah i love it or spider-man he loses gwen stacy and he loses hope and he throws in his his suit and then later he comes back as a hero re-inspired right that, that's commercial and then there's literary plot which is you open up the scriptures and you read like the book of Nehemiah and it kind of ends on a low note or you read, you know, David and Goliath sounds like a really cool story. Like maybe that scene would make a great movie except David's life kind of ends in shambles and it's not exactly the, expire, the inspiring, heroic, yeah, I want to be that guy when I grow up kind of story. And, and you look over and over again at literary plots, especially the ones in the Bible, and you're like, why do they do that? Why do they not end like a Marvel movie? Because life is like that. Life is not a Marvel movie for you and I, and you know that. Few of us feel like Spider-Man or Thor. I, 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 there was a little girl that showed up at our Halloween party wearing a Thor costume, and her muscles were pretty intimidating. And so I told her I would, I would arm wrestle her this week. But other than that little girl, very few of us feel like Thor. Right? There's barrenness and there's loss and there's family conflict and there's doubt and there's issues around calling and depression and loneliness and anxiety. That's life. And so if all you and I are used to is the Marvel and Netflix version of story, then when we show up to the Bible, one of the struggles is we have no bearing on how to read it because when it leaves us hanging, we feel undone. How is this possibly helpful? But if it's story, then that library is going somewhere. Let's go back to our definition. Almost done here. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. You see, for Jesus to accept the invitation from Jesus is to live into the reality of of not only who God is, but who he created you to be. That everything Jesus said last week, we'll look at it in just a second, is pointing to him, to life with and in Jesus. Jesus. The whole point of the Bible, Jesus has been saying over and over again, is Jesus himself. So listen to Jesus' words in John 5 here today. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, talking to those religious kind of Pharisees who are just massively committed. They're Bible nerds, but they're massively out of alignment with who God is, who Jesus is, and where God wants them to be. And so Jesus, in an argument with them, says, you search the scriptures because you think In them, you have eternal life. He says, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, and that's Moses. And and Again, this is kind of a jab from Jesus because they're massively committed to the writings of Moses. And he says, that book that you've memorized backward and forward, that book that you quote at people, that book that you use to puff yourself up in pride and think that you're on the right track, that writing, that divine human writing from Moses actually is right in front of you condemning you because you've set your hope on that. But if you believed Moses, then you would believe in me because he wrote of me. Now listen, this is the stuff that got Jesus crucified. For Jesus to stand up and make these claims is where people got outraged. He said, but if you do not believe in his writings, then how will you believe my words? What's the point here? Jesus is saying, hey, everything in the scriptures is pointing to me. The Bible is not your help, Jesus is. You have a crazy high view of the Bible to these Pharisees, but you're totally missing the point. Jesus himself, here's here's, I think the scary part Of what Jesus is saying here. That you can know the Bible and totally not know Jesus. And some of you know people who have known the Bible really well and they don't know Jesus. And the evidence is not in the information that they hold, but in the way that they live, the way that they love. There seems to be something out of alignment. Here's the big idea for today. Jesus is the center Of the scriptures and of life itself if you get nothing else from today I'm just trying to give you some confidence in this approach Jesus is the center of the scriptures and of life itself and I realize that some of you are not there you're not you're not sure that you believe that and that's okay this is just simply the claim that Jesus makes about himself and his approach to the scriptures and so listen when when we gather there are people in here who are all over the map. Some, some of you struggle with the divineness of the Bible. And you're welcome. and You're safe here as you, as you wrestle with that. Some of you struggle more on, on the conservative side. And, and, and it's like th- this, this Pharisee side of the space of you've been taught that everything significant about God loving you is related to how, how you read the Bible or relate to the Bible. And you're missing Jesus himself. Or some of you are just confused. And you're like, how does this help me get a date on Wednesday? I'm like, ah wherever you find yourself the invitation is that in the bible there is truth to be found and i'm not talking metaphor there's massive amounts of reality right in front of you historical narrative reliable facts absolutely but as you search the scriptures what i pray that you find is that you find jesus himself because that's the point point. and so as we look at what what are the scriptures for Maddie's going to deal with that in a couple of weeks. Not just what are they, but what, what are they for. But, but I need to give you that picture today so I don't leave you hanging with just information about story and a good definition of the Bible that, that, that maybe you can write down and hold on to. Right? The, the scriptures are not for entertainment. They're not, even in, they're not even for information. They are for formation into the image of Jesus. You see, the cool thing about the Bible being a story is every single person in here has a story. Every, my, one of my favorite questions is, hey, tell me your story. And as we look at at our stories in relation to God's story, we start to ask certain questions like, like, who are we? Why why are we here? What's wrong with the world around us? How do we fix it all? And all of those questions are story questions. You and I, we live by story. And so, as we evaluate our story and God's story and the story of Scripture and the story of humanity, the story that we believe, the story that we lean into, the story that you trust determines who you become. And so we're wrestling with the role of the Bible and Jesus in our lives. The cool thing about the Bible is the Bible not only tells a story, but it also calls into question every other story around us. Because your social media is telling you a story and your parents maybe told you a story and you college told you a story, and your friend groups are telling you a story, the city is telling you a story, uh, and not all those stories are true. And so the question is, what stories in my life is, is, are, are Jesus in the Bible? What are they calling into question? Because the Bible tells an alternative story. And the, We can invite Jesus in the Bible to tear down these internal empires and these, these things that have, have shaped who we have become and how we think and how we act. And he can reshape us from the inside out. I heard it this week that if, you, if if at some point the Bible doesn't offend you, you're reading it wrong, <laughs> which, I, which I really appreciate, right? Like to think that everything in my story is going to line up exactly like it's supposed to, and I'm going to agree with everything that God has to say, is pretty presumptuous. So the question is, what do I do in a relation with my story and God's? A couple of quick takeaways for you today. Number one, Some of you, you're you're still wrestling with Jesus and the church and relationship to the Bible and all of that and so, so very glad that you're here. And I wanna invite you to discover Jesus through reading the scriptures and prayer. Same invitation from last week. It's probably gonna get a little redundant because there's a really good chance in the middle of this Bible series that I'm gonna ask you to read the Bible. I know, it's kinda, sorry about it. Not really, but seriously, like we we talked about this, the the best-selling book on the planet and the least read. So do the work yourself. Don't listen just to me. And I challenge you last week to pick up John. Don't start in Genesis. Pick up John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right off the library shelf. Jesus' best and closest friend, his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, and read it for yourself. And then pick up the next letter and read Acts the story of the early church, historical narrative, and then pick up the next letter early, read Romans, a letter from Paul to the church in Rome, new followers of Jesus trying to figure out what it looks like to follow him in a hard city. And over and over again, you just keep reading left to right. I Just pick a book off the library over and over again. And we have tools to help you on that. We have an entire page on our website dedicated to those resources. Our city groups are there to help you. But listen, if you're wrestling with Jesus, I would encourage you to step into the space of discovery for yourself, and by all means, come to the gatherings, all of that stuff, but I can't do the work for you, and I'm not trying to. Just to invite you to discover for yourself. And the second piece is, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I want to invite you. This is not new, but it's still a challenge to be with Jesus daily in the scriptures and prayer so that you can make more sense of your story and live more fully into God's story. Even if you've been following Jesus for a, mi- for a minute and you're familiar with it all, Jesus considers this space a way to hear from God. And we're going to talk more about that over the next coming weeks, but I want to challenge you. Many followers of Jesus haven't read through the entire scriptures, and that's okay. There's no shame in that, but do the work yourself. Not just for the work of it, not like check. I, I, I went to school this week and did what my pastor told me to do. No, this is to sit with God and to imagine that you're reading the very words of God for you and me. And let that story start to speak into your story and call out maybe some pieces that are out of alignment and call into question some of the stories that you believe your entire life that are not true. So, same thing. If you've never read, start in John. If you're already kind of working through it, we said a chapter a day will serve you well. If you need the accountability in that, then that's where city groups come in. It's massively helpful. We got this little God time plan for you where you can kind of get a, a time and a space and a day and create consistency. It's still a habit. It's still a practice. If, if you want to grow physically and get stronger, you've got to have habits that take you to the gym and accountability helps, does it not? It's way easier to work out harder in the gym when other people are looking at you than, than to do push-ups in your bedroom. And it's even more so if people in your life know about it and they can hold you accountable. In the same way, there is growth to be had spiritually and it's still hard work and it's practice, but we become the things that we do and our habits form us and our habits shape us. So there's formation conversation coming at the end of this series about how the Bible acts. And we'll talk a lot about that. Maddie's going to do a great job and we'll kind of wrap it up there. But today, the big picture is that Jesus is the center of the scriptures and of life itself. And that's the invitation for you today is to find life in Jesus. So Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for our church today. Thank you for the gathering space that we can come together in the snow and enjoy uh, not, not only worshiping you and being together, but learning more about you and, and trying to cultivate a deeper understanding of our relationship to the scriptures and the role that it plays in our life. And I realize today that there are some of my friends in the room who are simply wrestling Jesus with who you are are you trustworthy much less the scriptures are you who you said you were can you really do in my life what you said you would do can you forgive me of sin can you make me new can you give me the power to live a different life is there life in your family can you tell me who I was created to be can you give me purpose and passion is there community inside your family that looks different than the community in the world around us all kinds of different questions that we have for you. But Jesus, may we not miss that everything is found in you. And for my friends in the room who are wrestling, maybe they're ready today to trust in you, to say, Jesus, I'm still not sure where I stand with the scriptures, and I I don't have all this stuff figured out, but I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you were buried and you rose again to give me new life. And whatever that means and whatever that looks like, I want to follow you today. And in that simplicity, if there's anyone in the room and their heart is screaming out that reality, Jesus, would you meet them right where they are and give them confidence, whether they're praying that out loud or in their hearts and minds, that heaven is rejoicing and that you are making them new. The old has passed away. Jesus, you've made them completely new. They're adopted into your family, forgiven of sin, filled with the Spirit of God and start following you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus today, God, would you help us to wrestle with our relationship with you and the scriptures? Would you call into question the stories that we believe, the stories that we've been handed, the stories we've been told, the stories we've lived into our entire lives that maybe are not true? And would we understand more fully the story that we're invited to live with you? One where life is found completely. You called it the good life, the abundant life. Not of just checking rights and wrongs in our life, but walking with you in relationship with you, listening to you, allowing you to lead our lives, allowing you to speak what is true over our lives and how to think about the circumstances of life in the world around us. That we would live more fully into the story, that there is no accident, that we are here in this time and place and season of life so Jesus would you would you move us past a desire for that and help us to put it into practice then we wouldn't be like the Pharisees and learn more about the Bible but we would find ourselves in relation to you by using the scriptures listening to your voice and responding and obeying and allowing you to shape us to become more like you and to do what you would do if you were us So over the next couple of moments, God, as we respond in different ways, would you lead us? Would you speak? Would you move us to respond? Maybe some of us need to get baptized. Some of us need to join community, go through growth track, join a city group. Maybe we just need to phone a friend, make some things right, ask for help, receive prayer. God, would you lead us in that space? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.